your life is an amazing series of experiences, and that's what I love about it, and that's why I'm I'm reading some of the harsher ones as, as well as these beautiful ones. Um, it's really an extraordinary story that your existence is. Back in Corte Madera in California, Kelly settled into his life as a Zen and yoga teacher at his Kanzion Zen Yoga Center. In 1984, he took formal vows and became an ordained Zen priest. There was then another difficult experience for you involving a young adolescent girl named Claire, but it led to um, some very important decisions. He spent a long sleepless night coming to terms with an ugly truth. His spiritual insight was not stable and his transformation far from complete. Kelly was still utterly bound by his conditioning. He was, in essence, no more free than a well-trained dog reacting to what his life had dealt him in a highly conditioned way rather than making conscious choices. He did not bother to show up at his own school for the next two days and on the third day drove to the shadow of the Golden Gate Bridge. No one noticed the lone man, barefoot, walked to the apex, climbed over the guardrail, and stood poised over the dark waters below. His reaction to Claire had exposed the ugly truth of his life. Still a narcissist, he was no closer to stable spiritual insight than he had been 20 years before. And that's a hard, harsh statement, but it, it, it's poetic license. He leaned out over the water again and again, wanting to let go, to snuff out his consciousness, to get away from his pain, his judgment, his self-loathing. Under the stars, with an occasional car going languidly by, he came face to face with what had brought him there. He wanted to kill himself, but he didn't really want to die. What he wanted was to be free from the prison of his own mind. His conditioned behavior that caused him to react to life with so little consciousness and compassion. The easy way out, he began to see, was to jump. The hard way would be to return to Edo Roshi and surrender himself utterly, without qualification, to be trained until he was awake or dead, to surrender to a man, a flawed man. Kelly called Edo Roshi and told him there was a crisis, and Roshi told Kelly to come to New York City. There they met in the New York Zendo on East 67th Street, where Kelly presented what had happened. Edo Roshi shook his head. Come to the monastery. Kelly shook his head. I told you, I've been institutionalized. I'm not interested in doing it again. Edo Roshi considered. The head monk is leaving, Junpo. There is no one to take his place. Edo Roshi had been watching Kelly's face. What would it take to get you there, he asked. Well, Kelly began... If I was to run the monastery, I would bring in body practices like yoga, mind practices like psychotherapy, environmental practices to raise awareness of what we're doing to the world, and create outreach programs so non-Buddhists could rent space for other kinds of retreats 
to broaden our exposure to other modalities, to other kinds of mind and spirit training. And this is certainly showing your, you know, continuing outreach to um, inclusive and comprehensive and, and integral approaches. Would you expect me to practice them as an example, Roshi asked? No, Roshi. Okay, then, Edo Roshi's eyes twinkled. We have a deal. Kelly drove back to Castile Mountains and to Dai Bosatsu, the Zen monastery. He had first entered the monastery in 1978 and had taken formal vows in 1984 to become a Zen priest. But he had always maintained a strong attachment and interest in his life outside of his practice. No more. Kelly walked to the doors of the monastery, resolved to stay there as long as it took. For Kelly, it would take years of discipline, practice, failure, and frustration. It was only his word to himself, wake up or die, that would keep him in the monastery for the next six years. And so, as you say, even though you studied with Ido Roshi for 18 years, this one particular stretch was a was a six-year run. Yeah, it was six years in the monastery, where I was the vice, I was the head monk and then vice abbot. Yeah. Um, Kelly smiled. Integrate the two. Zen needs therapy, but therapy needs Zen. As Kelly spent the morning and afternoon soaking in the natural hot springs, he saw that the path to true freedom had to hold both truths as real. There was a small conditioned ego that would impede every part of your life, especially your spiritual insight. Worse, it could deeply distort spiritual insight with its neurosis and pathology. But there was also the absolute, the ground of being, where Kelly had taken his seat. They were both true in every person, a relative, temporal, and finite ego that would blink out of existence a few decades after it became self-aware, and an immortal, timeless, and utterly imperturbable deeper self that did not come and go, had never been born, and would never die, and that saw perfection in the unfolding of every phenomena. Both of these were true, and both of them needed to be integrated for true insight, true wisdom, true freedom. Therapy, he realized, was important, but rooted in a lie, that the egos it served were permanent or real. And Buddhism, too, was rooted in a lie. Enlightenment alone would swoop in to save you from yourself. Because of this, therapists often were the most trapped in their small selves, even if those small selves were healthier than other small selves around them. And spiritual teachers, likewise, were often some of the most neurotic people out there. Many at the temple where he trained wanted to simply get away from their small, broken selves, as if becoming enlightened or one with Christos or God would somehow magically fix all the broken parts of their small self, as if one ever transcended the ego. One did not. One came through an ego, always. Never around one. As the sun, truth. Yeah. As the sun 
near the mountains, casting long shadows over the bathers, Kelly saw how he could bring Zen into the 21st century and integrate the insights of the West with the wisdom of the East. He would call it stop and drop. Stop your reaction to what was happening. Drop into a deep understanding of your true nature. Work with a small mind, the conditioned ego, but be willing and able to drop into a deeper truth of your being, to that place that was beyond duality, beyond emotion, beyond thought, beyond sensing, to pure potentiality at the core of your being, out of which everything arose. People had to wake up from the delusion of impermanence, and they had to grow up into free adults, too. So, stop and drop would eventually be modified by Mondo Zen, but the basic necessity of uh, integration is, is what remained. Right. So the koan process is, so many times shouting would be used to do an, an, an intervention injunction to stop the mind temporarily. Right. Like uh, Rinzai's famous quats. Quats! Right. So what that can do is interrupt and take you to, if it's transmitted correctly, to allow someone to have the experience. But so what? What I would say is, I also have the second phase of the meditation uh, mondo process I call meditation, why bother? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so the whole idea that's, that achieving state realization, uh, and you, you could say causal realization, for me, causal goes deeper. My causal experiences are beyond experience. Right. All I can do is kind of point in that direction, because right. what I'm talking about is manifested formality as consciousness. Right. There, there needs to be a vehicle of consciousness as well as the gross has to be part of the manifest reality or there's no vehicle for perception to take place within. Right. So that being the case, just to have the state experience of the deep purity of witnessing, this creates the problem of the arhat, I say, where you're above it, you're beyond it. You've right. You're, you're no longer involved in a dual reality. You, see, right. you literally see the perfection. There's nothing wrong with rape or war. They're very interesting activities from a right. divine point of view. Right, right. But from a from a subjective personal divine point of view, from a human point of view, for some reason, and this is greatly mysterious to me, and if you could help me understand it someday, I'd appreciate it. How is it that there can be this value waiting towards sensitivity and compassion and love? Yeah. In an unfolding universe that that's non dual. Right. How is it that the dual reality that makes this the subjective position of love and compassion desirable in Homo sapiens? You know, it's something I don't yet understand, and I used to argue that being the non-dual yogi, it's saying no, you, you go beyond. But right. in truth, that's not what happened. Like, like I said, when I had the incident with the 17-year-old, yeah, to cross, I was not coming from that I was I was operating from a non dual perspective you could say. Everything is everything and everything is perfect. Especially what I want. Yeah, exactly. And that isn't worth a rat's ass. No. And for some reason this great gift is there, but it doesn't make any sense from an absolute perspective. Right. So that being the case, we say okay, then how do we how do we structure and, and, and define that following the classical format? Right. And the koan process begins with insight into into deep uh, non-dual causal state right. realization. Indeed, indeed. It, in the end, in the five or the six, seven step koan process, 
what happens is they work with precepts as koan, and that's their attempt, the ethnocentric and historical attempt to incorporate and transmit the deeper truth is based upon the idea of studying precept as. But I said instead, let's get it right in the front, let's front load it. Because right. it doesn't seem to be working very well. Right. Because it comes again, you know, smacks of, of morality and rigidity again, you know, fear based rather than compassionately based. Right. And front loading it is part of what uh, Mondo Zen is all about. Right. Right from the very beginning. Where right. you, first of all, do you under, you know, can you come to the realization that you actually choose your perspective? Right. And that perspective is is a habituated position or posture that's coming with a with a genetic propensity. And right. the whole social and survival conditioning, right? You know, social, political, right. and survival patterns that establish this temporary view. Right. But you're not that temporary view, right? You're, you're the consciousness in which the temporary view has established itself. Right. So you're willing to shift and go to a selfless model, and that's where the foundational uh, anika, dukkha, and anatta come in. Right. To, to establish a correct understanding or, or, or correct perspective about the nature of consciousness right. and what it would be like if you had that realization. Right. And then we say, okay, now let's let's deconstruct your view and reconstruct your view based upon insight and realization and understanding. Right, so. right. All of those um, types of considerations were part of what went into forming Mondo Zen, including the types of koans and the emphasis on emotional koans and the emphasis on getting an insight into the enlightened state at the beginning and, and uh, as we were saying, front-loading it. And so all of that is part of what makes Mondo Zen, you know, such an important and uh, new type of spiritual practice for humanity which we'll get to in, in just one moment, actually. But before that, there's uh, um, a few other roadblocks that uh, you had to face and that you faced. Well, I have bad news, I'm afraid. Your cancer is more advanced than we had hoped. How advanced? The doctor pursed his lips for a moment. The cancer is locally advanced. It is spread from the base of your tongue to the lymph nodes to both sides of your neck. The worry is that it may already be in your brain and lungs, but in amounts we may not be able to measure. Christ, Kelly managed. What stage? Four, came the response. Four, Kelly breathed. At least it's not five. Shock rolled through his system. The doctor shook his head. There is no stage five, Mr. Kelly. Stage five is dead. The doctor nodded. At the end of his consultation with both doctors, Kelly asked the same question. Okay, doc, if you were me, what would you do? Both men gave the same answer. Mr. Kelly, you have stage four throat cancer. I would be getting conventional treatment with radiation and chemotherapy. You have 30 days to explore alternative treatments if you want. No more. After that, your treatment will become greatly complicated. Sandra and Kelly flew to Europe to follow up on a treatment Kelly had heard about, 
one that had decent track record of treating throat cancer. After 30 days, tests showed that the tumor on his tongue had not grown, but the cancer in his lymph nodes had. The stage 4 throat cancer was still progressing. More slowly, it was true, but progressing nonetheless. Without treatment, he would be dead in a year. Kelly went to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Incidentally, that's one of the places that Trey and I went to. And walking down its halls, I used to always think I was walking down the corridor of an of a, um, airplane terminal. It's an airplane terminal in a factory. <laughs> it, yeah, that's right. It, the the it never ended. It was just oh. unbelievable. 25,000 patients. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Jeez. They have their own power plant. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The doctor took in the superbly fit 64-year-old yogi and Zen master sitting in front of him. You looked very bad on paper. He tapped the folder in front of him. But when we saw you walk through the door, he paused. Mr. Kelly, your overall health is simply remarkable. You look like you can take a punch. I think given the shape you are in, we have a chance to beat this thing. What we'd like to do is treat you like we treat a man half your age. And so that's what they did. It was two months of chemotherapy, two weeks of rest, and two months of chemotherapy and radiation and follow-up tests quoting from the book showed he was in remission cancer-free and you have thank god remained that way until this day yeah and i just passed the five-year mark which is the big uh yeah so it's it's, it's right extremely unlikely right exactly in the meantime, you developed um, another problem, and I, uh, the way you handled this, I think, is uh, exemplary and um, is an example that all spiritual teachers could use. You're in relationship with Sandra, and yet, as you explained it to one of your senior students, Doshin, I've fallen in love with Vicara, Kelly stated flatly. Doshin nodded. He had been on many of the retreats with the two of them and had noticed a subtle but unmistakable shift in the energy between them. I figured as much, he said quietly, no judgment in the words. Kelly sighed. Damn, he breathed, putting a thin hand up to his face. But that's not all. I crossed a line with her, physically, before the cancer treatments began. I couldn't live with myself after a few months, so I told Sandra. How did she take it? Kelly, normally composed and disciplined in nature, shook his head, letting tears come freely to his eyes. She couldn't believe that I had lied to her. His voice dropped to a whisper. That was what hurt her the most. Not that I was with someone else, but that I lied about it. Doshin felt the sting of the lie in his own chest. Kelly shook his head. I love Sandra, but I love Vicara too. His hand came up to his eyes. Jesus, what a mess, he said. A minute of silence passed between them. Doshin rubbed a hand across his neatly shaved head. So, he said gently, 
where do things stand now? Sandra left because she knew I'd never decide. I was like Buridan's ass, that donkey between two perfect bales of hay, and I was about to starve myself to death. She loved me enough to make that choice and to end this. Dosha nodded. Kelly let out a deep sigh. I appreciate your honesty, Doshin said quietly. Yeah, Kelly said, I wanted to blame somebody, anybody, anything. American culture, Puritan culture, Zen culture, do whatever it took to not have to stand in the truth. What a mess I have made. Doshin knew his teacher well and knew that Kelly had not sat down to solicit advice or confess his sins. He had come to some kind of understanding, some kind of realization, and was about to share it. Vicara and I have already come clean with her ex-husband. Kelly shook his head, and once again tears were wiped away. She and I took six months apart to get our lives straightened out and to make things as good as they could be. Dosha nodded, and now we need to come clean to our community. This is too big to hide from the group or to make excuses. Vicar and I have made the choice to stand in front of everyone and publicly declare our love and admit our mistakes. A truth and reconciliation process where we will invite all our community to share their opinions. Dogan shook his head. That's a big can of worms you're about to open. You could be just like every other spiritual teacher out there, apologize, fade from sight for a few months or years, and then move on. He smiled. Otherwise, you're opening yourself up to everyone's angry projections, including my own. His eyes twinkled. He felt anger at Kelly in that moment, for he too had been lied to and deceived. Kelly reached out and put his hand on Doshin's arm. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry I deceived you. But I need you now to help me make this right. The right thing, the necessary thing, is to come clean and admit where we were out of line. It was Doshin's turn to sigh. He nodded. Okay, he said at last, the word floating slowly out between them. What do you need me to do? Help me plan the retreats. I'll send out an email to the community telling everyone what happened and asking full ownership. I'll invite anyone who would like to speak to attend either a retreat in Colorado or a retreat in Wisconsin. We'll give everyone a chance to speak their mind directly to me and to Vicara. Kelly sat in silence for a few moments. No more playing in the shadows, Doshin. It's time to start dancing in the light. The retreats were the usual seven-day intensive Renzai Zen meditation retreats. But then a special truth and reconciliation process was added on the last day. The 35 retreat participants formed an outer circle with the men and women facing inward. Inside of them was another circle, smaller, and made up of the priests and senior students of Kelly. At the very center of the two circles was Vaikara, Kelly, and a professional facilitator and Zen priest named Tom Pittner, whose Dharma name was Fugan. And although Sandra and Vicara's ex-husband chose not to be present, two people who knew them well 
sat inside the circle to represent their points of view. Kelly had also sent a long and personal email to the entire community explaining what had happened. Kelly and Vicara sat as the inner circle of priests and senior students spoke their experience of the affair, how they felt about the lies given to cover it up, and what they thought about Kelly betraying one of his own priests. It took a long time for the men and women there to speak their minds and for Kelly and Vicara to respond to what was said. Many were disgusted by Kelly and felt that he had betrayed the entire community. Others felt that their trust in him was irrevocably damaged. For those who have experienced the sting of infidelity in their own lives, Kelly and Vicara's admission was especially difficult. Once all of the senior students and priests expressed how they felt personally, they were asked to all speak again, this time as part of a community with the voice of the community. The whole process took several hours, and by the end of it, every single person had shed tears, expressed rage, betrayal, and shame. Some had expressed forgiveness, but many had not and never would. Vicara and Kelly then flew to Wisconsin, and the same thing was repeated with the community there. This wasn't a public lynching, but it was designed so that Vicara and Kelly could face and accept the effects of their actions on those they loved and cared about. It allowed them to look every single person who needed to speak to them in the eye to hear how their behavior had hurt those around them. It also put the matter into the public sphere, and while it nearly destroyed everything Kelly had built, it was also the only thing that could have saved it. That is such an exemplary and uh, exquisite thing to do, I can't tell you. And I can't tell you the admiration that I hold for both of you for doing that. Uh, it's, it's really just quite extraordinary and um, absolutely impressive. And, and my, you know, congratulations go out to both of you. I know it wasn't easy, but you did it. And, you know, that's, that's amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's time to tell the truth. And yeah. It was a very, that was a very complicated circumstance. I was in an open relationship. Yeah. And I lied. And yeah. But I, I lied because I didn't want to face it. I was afraid. Right? And right. so that's part of the whole Mondo process is understanding the true nature of fear and what's driving the fear is compassion or caring. Right. So when you can get inside the fear and, and, and prevent the reactivity of the fear because you go to the deeper feeling. And that's what right. broke me. It broke my heart, broke me open to actually realize that because that same question is like, how could that happen? How could that happen? Yeah. And finally, it was like, you know, <clears throat> my head hit the ground hard enough. And I went, oh, I've got it. The problem is philosophical. Right. The problem is a, is a confusion about the nature of the understanding of the, the whole emotional process. Right. So, and it was great. I only lost it once. <laughs> but I was sitting there. The character was particularly irritating and laborious in his insults. <laughs> so I got big. I actually started to stand up. I thought, well, I'll just go punch him or something. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a huge crowd there, so I had to sit back down. <laughs> 
But that understanding about the necessity for care um, underlying these kinds of processes was, was one of the several insights that, that went into Mondo Zen. And so, you know. Major, major piece. Yeah. So, you know, so you can argue, again, another one of those silver linings to this cloud, another, you know, positive item that, 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 that came out of an otherwise difficult situation. And you did go on um, to create Mondo Zen, a powerful new technique. Here's the point in the book where you and I meet for the first time and you explain the process to me. The two men shook hands and sat down at the conference table. So tell me about Mondo Zen, said Wilbur, cutting to the chase. Kelly nodded, sipping his Perrier. What we've done is create 12 koans designed to do a couple of things, all in less than two hours. The first thing is to induce a state of clear, empty mindfulness, jhana, to give a person going through the process a direct realization, however fleeting, of non-dual, non-separate awareness. Wilbur's vow furrowed. Not exactly easy, he commented. That's the funny part, Kelly said. Inducing the state temporarily is easier than I thought it would be. It takes practice for people to stay awakened, of course. But what we do is give them a state of what they've been looking for on their own right into their immediate and direct experience. They weren't just hearing about enlightenment. They were experiencing it for themselves. After all, Kelly said with a smile, it's right here, he snapped his fingers. Renzai Zen uses simple concentration meditation to induce the experience of enlightened mind. We use sound and get a person to listen as deeply as they can. We then ask them koans around, is there such a thing as pure listening and the like, and guide them right into their own undifferentiated awareness. It's a question and answer format that uses neuro-linguistic programming to help them associate and claim this territory for themselves. In other words, enlightened mind goes from a concept to a direct experience they're having in this moment. Clever, Wilbur commented. So, Kelly continued, we take them to their undifferentiated nature, to the spaciousness that is sitting right under their self-referencing ego awareness. Once they feel this and experience this, we have a series of questions that gets them to claim the experience for themselves, to own it, in other words. We get them to admit and confirm that they can drop into their own true nature easily and that they are, in this moment with us, experiencing it. That what they've been seeking their whole lives is right under their nose. So a lot of the initial koans play with this and reinforce it. Kelly smiled. Tracking me so far? So far, so good. And most people get it? Most, Kelly said. But sometimes people can't drop. If that's the case, I'll work with their philosophical understanding of enlightenment, which is blocking their insight. But most people drop. From there we shift gears. 
we move into emotional koans. Emotional koans, kin set forward. Right, the classic koans are cognitive, mental questions. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Does a dog have Buddha nature and the like, right? Wilbur nodded. Well, I found in my life and in a lot of other lives, the only part of the problem of us staying asleep is philosophical or mental. The other big problem is emotional. The traditional precept koans tried to address emotional understanding, but they're not really adequate. How so? Kelly laughed. Look around at the behavior of a lot of modern Zen Roshis. Wilbur smiled, nodding. A great number of spiritual teachers, including Zen ones, has seen some kind of scandal involving sexual or some other form of indiscretion clouding their teachings. So after we show them their true nature, we then take them into the most obvious emotions and ones that everyone can relate to, anger, shame, dissociation. We get to the root of these emotional reactions with them at first philosophically, which are, Wilbur asked, anger only arises when three other emotions are present, fear, grief, and deep caring. Without these three, anger as a violent reaction is impossible. A homeless person calls you a prick on the street, and you keep walking. Your wife calls you a prick, and you hit the ceiling. What's changed? One, you care about your wife and what she thinks. And two, you're afraid she sees you as a prick for any number of reasons. So I ask people to feel into the truth of anger for themselves. And shame? Shame is just anger directed inwardly, an internalized voice of mom or dad or society or whoever. Wilbur said nothing, but his dark eyes were turning and active behind the red lenses. Once that's established, Kelly continued, we ask them to bring up something in their own life, a personal place where they've become angry or ashamed. And then we work through that scene while getting them to feel the truth and immediacy of their undifferentiated nature, a nature that can't be hurt or offended or angered or shamed, and their new understanding of the true roots of their anger and shame. So the idea is to interrupt habitual emotional reactions, Wilbur observed. Exactly, Kelly said. Had a feeling you'd get it quickly. In my experience, it's the emotional things that are most likely to sabotage spiritual insight. By giving people a taste of the absolute, where everything is perfect, Wilbur interrupted, where everything is perfect, we give them the space, the freedom, to look at their emotional body. Their koan, the question that drives them to wake up for good, comes not from one of the classic 1400 koans, but right from their own life, right from their own experience, so that the next time they feel anger or shame arise, they have a neuro-linguistic pathway that leads them right back to remembering their awakened nature. So where someone getting angry in traffic was an embarrassing distraction to them before, now it's a method and a path for waking up. Life, not the guru or a retreat, is the most powerful teacher one can have.
And so that's a brief uh, summary of Mondo Zen. As I said, it's a terrific new discovery, a new addition to the spiritual methods of humankind. If you're interested in it, I highly recommend you go to mondozen.org, M-O-N-D-O-Z-E-N.org, and check it out. And I also highly recommend you attend workshops and teachings and sashins with Junpo Roshi, who is truly an extraordinary teacher and somebody that we're really blessed to have among us and um, somebody that I'm blessed to call friend. So, Junpo, thank you so much for giving us all of this time. I realize this has been long, but I wanted to go through it and turn people on to what you're doing. So, bless you, my friend. Well, thanks so much, Ken. Like, you've been an important voice in my ear for a long time. And uh be able to uh the great honor, privilege, and deep gratitude for your showing up and uh, helping. Wonderful, my friend. Anytime. And I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, brother. Love you. Okay, my friend. Thanks. Bye-bye.